Hello. All right, here we go. First Thessalonians chapter 2. If I misspoke earlier, I apologize about that. All right, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read the first part of it that, uh, that Art probably covered last week. Um, but it sets you up perfect for uh, the, the passage that we're going to get into this go-round. We're going to pick up in verse 12, but I'm going to read 1 through 11, getting to it. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing to men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers." Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So before we jump into verse 12, you just, I just wanted to read that so you kind of get the heart that, that Paul's talking with. We came to you. It was difficult. We suffered much hardship. We worked day and night so that we wouldn't be a burden to you. And we carried ourselves uh, in a way that was devout and upright and blameless. That's how we behaved. And then look at verse 12. This is kind of where he, he, this is a linchpin verse. We did all of that, verse 12, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so everything that Paul and the people that were with him went through, he did it so that they would in turn emulate him and do just this. Walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And just want to spend a little bit of time in application. Walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I think that you can't walk in a manner worthy of God without remembering that it's his kingdom and it's his glory. Right? When Jesus sets up the model prayer for us, we know it is the Lord's prayer. It ends with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Like if you've ever used it as an outline, I use it as an outline all the time. Just kind of have a hard time always remembering what to pray for. So I'll kind of walk through one line of the Lord's Prayer, and then I'll pray for things that it talks about. Really just use it as an outline. And I think it's fascinating that the Lord's Prayer starts with, it's your kingdom, and it ends with, it's your kingdom, it's your glory, and it's your power forever and ever. And I just think that, that the way that the Lord's Prayer ends is probably one of the biggest gifts that God could give anybody in leadership within a church. Because as you're praying for things for the body that you're trying to shepherd, it's a constant reminder that it's his kingdom, 
his glory, his power. How long? Forever and ever. Amen. And the main thing that you can worry about is that we need to make sure that we're people that are walking in a manner worthy of the calling that he's given us. And so when you make decisions in life, are you making them in a way that is worthy of what God wants for you? And it's easy to think, well, God wants me to be X, Y, and Z. And I run into tons of people who really think that God wants them to be happy. And I would challenge you to find a place in Thessalonians where Paul says, I came to you and I proved to you that the Christian life was always happy. I think what you're going to see is that he suffered much hardship. You're going to see that he suffered this and he suffered that. But he did it all for them so that they would also, that he could model for them what they were supposed to live out. And I think this passage right here in Thessalonians, uh, it just really challenges the idea of what we consider, what does it look like to, to be godly? What does it feel like to be godly? And I just want to make sure you understand out of 1 Thessalonians that it's not always sunshine and roses. It's just not. That's not at all what, what God has, has called us to. And so he says this, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I think if you're genuinely going to follow Jesus, um, you're going to go to bed frequently with your, your pillow filled with tears. Because you're, you're giving your life to reach people who are lost and without hope. And they're struggling and they're searching and they're looking to you to point them in the right direction to Jesus. I think that's what you find when you work with people. And I think that if you're genuinely going to be walking in a manner worthy of God, who did Jesus hang out with 99% of the time? Lost people. Messy people. Right? This is what they always said to Jesus. That guy is going to eat with those people? That guy is going to go there and do that. Doesn't he know that she's got this reputation? Doesn't he know? Doesn't he understand? And I just think that it's always good for us to remember that you have to remember where you came from when he saved you. And you always have to remember that he saved you despite you. Right? Ephesians 2 says that you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. And it goes on to say that we liked it there. We liked it. A lot of times we think, oh, I went to this revival service and the Lord was stirring in my heart and we romanticized this thing. But if you read it scripturally, you would see that God really directed you there and he called you out of what you were in. We give ourselves credit for this feeling that we had. But you wouldn't have that feeling if he wasn't stirring inside of you. And so praise the Lord that somebody reached into your messiness, right? I've always wrestled with this. When I was, when I was like 20, I would, I would hear these testimonies and somebody would say, well, I had this background or I had that background and God rescued me out of it. And, and I would think to myself, I was like, man, I was never a hell's angel and God like called me out of it. I was never like into drugs and God called me out of it. And I, would, I was sitting there thinking one day, I was like, man, my testimony's lousy. Like nobody would want to hear my testimony because it's just so lame, right? But I was just as dead in my trespasses and sins as they were. 
And I think if you're genuinely going to live out this walking in a manner worthy of God, you're not going to avoid difficult people. You're going to invite them in and, and they're going to be even closer. So I think the challenge is, is that if you're living life week to week and there's no mess, like if your life just looks like Pottery Barn, you're probably not walking in a manner worthy of the God who calls you. You're probably, you're probably pulled back and, and you're living in a safe space. And the reality is, is that I think the God who's calling you to his glory and his gospel would, would rather you engage and get your hands messy, right? Um, I can think of a lot of people at our church that I get to have conversations with that are getting their hands messy. And we have all kinds of conversations about what do I do with this? And we always chuckle because it's like, wow, how in the world did we get here? What do we do? And the answer is always, we go to the feet of Jesus and we give it to him and we ask for his wisdom and his guidance. And I think if you're operating in an area of life where you don't need his direction, you don't need his guidance with people, you might not be walking in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Because the truth is, is that God isn't just interested in you and your family, right? It would be easy to think, hey guys, we got ours. Let's just close the doors and do our thing. And let's just celebrate how good God's been to us. I mean, Jesus came to this earth so that he could save everybody who calls on the name of Jesus. And if we're not actively plowing into lostness and darkness, well, we're not living at all in a manner worthy of the gospel that he's called us to. And so I want you to see more of what he says, and, and it comes to fruition at the very end. He says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And so he's thankful that these people have received the word of God, which you heard from us, and they've accepted this, like this scripture, as the word of God, not the word of men. The big difference there is that when you read this book and, and you read it as thus saith the Lord, you don't get to argue with it. Right? right? I mean, that's why when I preach to you, I open God's word all the time because you can argue with me. Like, I'm fine with that. Like, I don't have to always be right. I'm wrong a lot. Like, ask Rhonda. I'll call Rhonda and ask her opinion on something. It doesn't have to do with, like, a church leadership thing. And I'll be like, what do you think about this? And then I'll say, well, I was thinking this. And she'll just give me, like, a, her and Jan will be like, well, bless your heart. That's cute. <laughs> and then, and then, I'll always say, then I'll always say, well, that's why I called you guys because I don't know, right? Um... And so we can argue about things like that. But when you open God's word and thus saith the Lord, you don't get to argue with it. And so I think one of the ways that you can measure, are you walking in a manner worthy of the gospel of God? Do you open God's word and do what it says as if God himself is telling it to you? I think it's a good question. So for you, brethren, this is verse 14, become imitators for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ, Jesus, that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They're not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost." All right, 
So he's praising them in verse 14 for becoming imitators of the church of God in Christ in Jesus, Christ Jesus, that are in Judea. And so this church in Thessalonica is behaving the same way that these other churches are. And he says it's commendable. And so what is commendable about the way that they're behaving? They're enduring sufferings at the hands of their own countrymen. Like, do you understand that in the book of Thessalonians, that Paul is going to tell you, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it's the will of God that you suffer? And I think so many times we think and we look on people that may be suffering and we think, hmm, something must be wrong there. Like if they were living right, they wouldn't be suffering. And I think if we understood rightly, you would understand that the way that you deal with your suffering is a megaphone to the world as to what you really believe about the gospel. When they see you go through hardship and the way that you carry yourself and where you place your hope, that's the biggest thing that you can do to show the world that you're a true follower of Jesus Christ. Because you've, you've, you can't be self-consumed, right? I think suffering puts its finger on, is it all about you or is it all about Jesus? And so he says, listen, I want to praise you because you modeled after them. You became imitators of them and you suffered, you endured the sufferings by the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. And so all these people are coming to Christ and the old guard doesn't like it, right? You ever been in, a, in an old club and had a new idea? Well, that's the way this is with these guys, that, they're, that the old guard is just not happy with what's going on, and so they're persecuting them. And I want you to see that um, this is in verse 14. Even as they did from the Jews, uh, Hebrews 10.33 kind of speaks into this a little bit. He says, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. And so if you're going to read Thessalonians as the word of God from God, you need to understand that God, the Holy Spirit, is praising the Jews and the Thessalonians for joyfully accepting the seizure of their property. I think one of the hardest things for us to do, especially around election time, is to balance what it means to be an American citizen and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Because it very well could be the will of God that somebody sees your property and you model what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, and that causes them to repent of their sins and cast themselves on the mercies of God because you've modeled for them that it looks like that in your life it's more valuable to be obedient to Christ than it is to hold on to whatever you treasure the dearest. Like, I'm not making this stuff up. It's just right here in Thessalonians. I think they went to this wedding on purpose on this particular date. I want to be in Arkansas right now, right? Not because I don't, not because I don't want to share these truths with you, because these truths are hard to stomach in my own life, right? Right? I mean, if when persecution comes, who's the first one that's going to get it here at our church? I think the guy whose name is on the church sign. 
right? It's not really on the church sign, um, but, but you get what I'm saying. I think that days are coming where it's, you're going to really have to figure out what does it look like to be a genuine citizen of the kingdom and not just hide behind my rights as an American. And I'm just as heavily decorated as a veteran as anybody in here. And I don't say that to boast. I say that to say, I get it. Like, I get the dilemma. And so he keeps going. And he's talking about the Jews. And he says, they killed the Lord Jesus, verse 15. They killed the prophets. They drove us out. They're not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men. Hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, that's verse 16, so that they may be saved. And so what they're doing is that this old guard, the Jews and the, the original ones from Thessalonica, they're preventing, but through persecution, the message going out, and they're preventing more Gentiles from being saved. That's kind of the middle of verse 16. With the result that they, that's the Jews and the, the Jews, they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. And so what is the wrath that's come upon the Jews present day? And I think that part of the wrath that's on the Jews present day is that, and we'll talk about this in, in messages to come over in this church service, that uh, there's been a hardening of their hearts. Like God has made it so they can't see. And that's part of their punishment. Part of your punishment also, part of living under the wrath of God, and this is hard to, to understand, but Romans 1 speaks to it all the time. Part of the wrath of God, it looks like God giving you exactly what you think you want. Right? You getting exactly what you want could very well be the wrath of God. When he, when he takes his hand off of you and says, go and do whatever you want. We think of that as, oh, I'm free. I've got this freedom. I'm doing what I want. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Yeah, well, biblically, that's terrible. And when you're out there doing that, you're just reaping coals on your own head. You think about what's going to happen at the end of times, right? We believe Jesus is going to come back. We believe in this thing that we frequently call the great white throne judgment, right? And so when you, when you think in terms of when someone dies, they go to heaven, right? You with me? Then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So it's almost like, it's almost like don't think Catholic purgatory, right? But think that everybody's going where they're supposed to go, but there's going to be a final judgment day. And one of the reasons is, is because the things that you're doing now that are unpleasing to Christ, the bad oats that you may be sowing, um, you're not done paying those consequences until your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, until it's really come to fruition. So when you take somebody, um, I, I don't want to pick on a particular sin, but you take somebody who's introduced something new into our culture, Right? Think about the first person who thought of the idea to put an inappropriate picture online and they went through what it takes to happen. Oh boy, it's gotten a lot worse since then. And that's still on that person. You with me? And so one of the ways that you're doing this, one of the ways that, excuse me, that they're doing this, filling up the measure of their sins and the wrath that's come on them is that as you reject Christ and your family rejects Christ and their family rejects Christ, you own a lot of that. And so the, the, the Jews have always been good at filling up the measure of their sins, but they're receiving wrath right now. Then he says this, 
verse 17. And there's much more that you could say there. You could go much deeper and, and kind of exhaust that some more. But I want to make sure we get to the end. But brethren, having been taken away you from you for a short while in person, but not in spirit, we all, we all the more eager with great desire to see your face. And so you just make sure they understand that, listen, we're not with you now, but our hearts and our spirits are with you. We're all the more eager to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan hindered us. And if you've read through the book of Acts, you kind of understand that uh, as they're plowing new ground with the gospel, there's times where they want to go right, but the Spirit won't let them go right. There's times they want to go left, but the Spirit won't let them go left. You say, well, what does that look like, right? What does that look like? Sometimes it could be God preventing you from going somewhere. Sometimes it could be Satan preventing you from going somewhere. But he says, in this particular instance... We wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, verse 18, yet Satan hindered us. I think you should hit up Art for what that looks like in real life. When he gets back next week, somebody raise their hand and ask him exactly what that looks like. Then he says this, verse 19, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? And this is the part that I want to spend the rest of our time on. Who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, for you are our joy and glory. All right, Paul, an apostle of God, gets stoned several times, gets left for dead, and he keeps, he keeps getting up, he keeps plowing, he keeps plowing, he keeps plowing, he keeps sharing, he keeps sharing, he keeps sharing. Why does he keep doing it? Because he knows that at the return of Jesus Christ, he's going to be able to present these people to Jesus. And I think this is kind of what you need to think in terms of. Like I'm going to, I'm going to use a few examples. If they're your thing, forgive me. I, I'm trying to be even across everybody. I think that when Jesus comes back, excuse me, I know this, everything of no value is going to burn up. You with me? And so you could say, Jesus, look at my IRA. Isn't it beautiful? I would like to give it to you. It's burned up. It dies. Look at this thing I painted. It dies. Look at this car that I clean every week. It dies. It gets burned up. Look at this thing that I made with my hands. I'd like to give it to you. Well, you can't because it burnt up. Everything on this earth will burn up. Are those things that I mentioned bad? I don't think they're bad in the slightest. But I think that when you stand before Jesus and eternity is what we're looking forward to, the things that last are the people that you invest in. End of story. And I think if we're going to walk in a way, he says in verse 12, in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory, You've got to live your life in such a way that you're bringing people with you. You have to. You have to make your life all about other people if you want to live in a way that's worthy of God. Because Jesus didn't die for stuff. He didn't die for your hobbies. He didn't die for just you and your family. He died for the sins of the world. And you have to make sure like if you're treating this as the word of God and not the word of men, 
You've got to live your life all about other people. You've got to follow the example of Paul and do whatever it takes and, and be all things to all people so that some can be saved. And I think when you're walking through 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it begs you to think about this. Who, person, who's going to be your hope or joy or crown when you get to heaven? Who's the one that you're going to joyfully celebrate and present to God to say, I suffered much tribulation. I worked day and night so that I could share your gospel with this person. And I'm really excited that they're here. Nothing else comes with you. People are going to be what it's all about when you get into heaven. And so I just want to encourage you to go give grandma hugs. Right? Go do things for your neighbors. Finish this race on empty, making it all about other people and not yourself. Like we've got a generation of, of young people that struggle with depression and anxiety and all of these things. If you only look inward, you have no choice but to be anxious and depressed and all these other things. If you think that the world starts and stops with you, you have no hope at all. But if everything is about Jesus, well, now, now the world makes perfect sense. If you, if you read the scriptures and you see that, wow, this is what the first followers of Jesus did. This is how they modeled their lives. And when they faced these situations, they took joy and encouragement because they knew what the goal was. And their goal wasn't happiness. Their goal was to stand before Jesus and be able to present this church at Thessalonica to Jesus. And so any questions or comments about things that uh, we've talked about? That's kind of the end of the passage. I know this is a tough one to raise your hand and, uh, and say something, but any, uh, any thoughts? Go ahead. The last point makes the parable of the talents more... It puts a different spin on that. Yeah, I think so. He said the that the the last sentence kind of makes the parable of the talents make a lot more sense. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, when we were in, in Mexico, working in Mexico with the Bible translator, um, there was a there were some places where they had hundreds and thousands of people who came to Christ, and some places where it was only two or three. Mm-hmm. And each translator, I think when they, well, when they can say, I, I brought these people, it's not the number. Yeah. It, it can't be the number somehow. But, um, yeah, she's mentioning this. It's not just about the number. I agree with that. I think it's it's about your faithfulness, not the, the product, right? I think that's one thing that that helps me sleep at night as a pastor is just the belief in the sovereignty of God that it's not my job for all of Lancaster to be saved. It's my job to be faithful this morning with what God said and let him do what he's going to do and be available if he wants to do all of those things. So by all means, if all of Lancaster flocks to covenant and wants to get saved, well, hallelujah. But if that doesn't happen, you know, wake up each day, foot in front of the other, being faithful to what he's given you and, and making sure that we're not being the gauge of who's faithful or not, but we're using his word as the gauge as to whether or not we're being faithful. Anything else to add? Go ahead. One more thing. I, I, um, in my life, I've had a lot of guilt on stuff and suffering and stuff like that, so I can associate with that. But the way I see it in the Bible, it talks about in all 
uh, all crucial. It's a, the, the, the verse escapes my mind, but all those in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Mm -hmm. And the persecution we face now is not the guilt of the Jewish mother, the Italian mother, the Catholic <laughs> guilt that's, that's put on you, so you have to do all this penance. We've already repented. We can't do any works for our salvation. But the suffering we go through is sometimes ridiculed. Sometimes it's a little stuff. You don't, may not have what terrible stuff's happening over in Israel. And I really believe there were some Christians that, that are going over there too, that were some uh, American and other people that are Christians that are in that festival. Um, but I think we, we, we have to, um, we need to have the joy of the Lord. It, it, it's a, a special thing that I, I've even had that in the military when, when, when guys would do things and you know put salt all over your food while you're praying and, and do crazy stuff. But you know, at, at two o'clock in the morning when his mother died, his daughter did. So there's suffering and there's suffering. There's different levels of it. But I think that it's still true that mm -hmm. all those in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And, and sometimes it's the illness. I mean, I've told my kids too that in the hospital, you're going to have somebody sometimes in the next bed you might be able to witness to. I mean, Joni Erickson did that. Mm -hmm. um, I train my kids that anytime they hear a siren, pray <laughs> where they're going. Mm -hmm. No matter what the, the ambulance person is, mm -hmm. he may be a believer, a state trooper. We've had a, a, a guy in a Bible study down here that I go to a men's study. He was a, a pastor when felt led to get trained in the, in the police academy and came top of his class. You know, he led several gals who were just about to die. They got the knock on in them. They got, he prayed for them. And they woke up. And they met Jesus. I mean, here... <laughs> He's a police officer, but he's still, like I said, and I, I guess that's why I mentioned that thing about, can we ask them, you know, is there anything I could pray mm -hmm. for people about? Mm -hmm. Nothing hurt to ask that question. Mm -hmm. But again, these, these kids are suffering too. Mm -hmm. There's um, a lot of struggles that we had in college mm -hmm. and nothing compared to these mm -hmm. kids going through now. That's I different. I say that and want to pray for them as well. So. Certainly. Anybody else have any input? I got some. Go ahead. I think what you said, uh, that safe space is uh, very easy to get into. Oh, yeah. We all want to pay our bills. We all want to see our kids do well. We want mm -hmm. to take care of our grandchildren. We want to put money back. We want to share Christ. And I can see where it's so easy to be doing well, sharing Christ with others. And we try to line our actions up with sharing with others. But we are praying in such a way do we really mean what we pray? Have we gotten comfortable in that safe place because we feel we're honoring God in such a way in our own understanding? Mm -hmm. But when you pray, God, you say, I please you by being faithful. Mm -hmm. Will you increase my faith? Will you show me you in a way that I've never seen before? Mm -hmm. And this safe place is going to be quite different. Oh, yeah. And I can see, even in my own life, where those prayers have come to petition, and then it's still hard. It's still hard because of the knowledge, the wisdom that you have on what God's done. You say, hey, man, if I had this opportunity, boy, boy, what would I do? Mm -hmm. But okay, God says, hey, well, let me change the circumstance for you just a little bit. I appreciate that enthusiasm, but let me take 
that job away. Let me take that help away. Because you do love me, and you are asking me, and I know who you are. How does that go then? But you're saying become like Jesus, become and invest in people. I can see that safe place coming on each and every one of us in such a way if we are careful. If we're not careful, we can lose sight. And I know it's not easy. Yeah. And you know, just, I know it's not easy. Yeah. Trust me. And sometimes I get mad at myself. Lord, if all you've done for me, man, I should be a lot easier <laughs> doing this. But boy, yeah. you know, sometimes I stand up strong, and then other times I got my tail between my legs. Yeah. I'm like, man, come on. Yeah. So I, I love our uh, our church covenant says that we as a people will make every decision in steadfast prayer, st- making decisions in faith, walking forward. Uh, I think it's fabulous. One of the things I wrestle with um, as a pastor is that when I tell you a story, it could be an old story, right? Like it's possible to have once been the real deal and stepped out and lived in faith. It's a whole nother thing to have a story that God didn't want me to tell that story. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole nother thing for it to be something that happened yesterday, right? Because, I mean, the, the goal is continual obedience to Christ, growing in it and, uh, and figuring it out, uh, or continuing to grow in Christ until he calls us home, not just a one-time deal. I think that's the, that's the hard part. And so uh, just as an encouragement, let's, uh, let's be people of God who open his word, and spend some time sauteing, if you will, on the hard parts and just genuinely ask him, what does it look like for me to, to live a life that's worthy uh, of your calling? I think it's a, it's a good, good question to ask. And I just want to encourage you to um, don't be afraid to get into the weeds with people and, uh, and get messy, right? Because that's where you'll find your joy and your crown. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for uh, your word. Lord, it's, um, it's a little harder to thank you for your word uh, when, it, when it cuts so deep. But Lord, we do thank you for not making us wonder what you want or desire for us, uh, but you plainly tell us. And so God, help us to prayerfully uh, stew on this and to do business with you throughout the week, figuring out exactly what it is that uh, the Word of God wants from us. And God, I pray that we would be a people who joyfully give it to you out of obedience. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I guess you